0: Sooner or later, it dawns on everyone that's trying to grow in holiness. He's got a lot of personal obstacles, problems that stand in the way of this growth in holiness. Problems that result from original and actual sin. Over time, it comes clear for each person, or it should, that these problems revolve around one particular tendency. It's something that's called... The predominant fault. Spiritually speaking, the predominant fault is our vulnerable point. It's a spiritual flaw that tends to prevail over all our other problems. It's actually our principal interior enemy. That means that if we're serious about growing in holiness and getting to heaven, we have to identify this problem and beat it into submission. So this morning, we'll spend a few minutes talking about how to identify our predominant fault, and then we'll consider one particularly effective and relatively easy strategy for conquering. Because of the time, we're certainly not going to give justice to this topic. It's not a complete summary of the church teaching here. What we can do in this time is give everyone here the tools they need to identify their predominant fault and a particularly powerful means to battle it or any other spiritual problem we're struggling with, okay? That's what we can do. And next week, we'll give another, uh, another means to help battle on this and a few other clues on this. Okay, how to recognize the predominant fault. And this section will rely especially on the late, great Father Garagu LaGrange. The first step is we have to pray. We beg God for light To truly know ourselves. We can pray prayers like that beautiful scripture prayer, Lord, that I might see. Also, since our guardian angel has to deal with us constantly for a whole life, we want to ask him to give us the light, to see our predominant fault. And of course, we want to turn to the Blessed Mother. So, especially if we've been consecrated to Our Lady. Anyway, so we want to start by begging God, our guardian angel and the Blessed Mother, for the light to see our predominant fault. That's the first step. You got to start with a prayer. Second step is we need to make a serious examination of our interior life, and we're going to do this taking special care to pay attention along those seven fault lines, the fault lines of the seven deadly sins. Since in most cases the predominant fault will be one of these. If you don't know what the seven deadly sins are, it's easy to remember if you remember places G. Places G, because every one of those stands for something. Places G. P stands for pride, L stands for lust, A stands for anger. C stands for covetousness, E stands for envy, S stands for sloth, and G stands for gluttony. So that's places G, pride, lust, anger, covetousness, envy, sloth, and gluttony, places G. So how do we do this kind of examination? We start by asking ourselves questions like, What I generally find myself preoccupied with when I wake up or when I'm alone? Where do my thoughts and my passions tend to drift of their own accord? What sort of things generally make me sad or happy? When I look back over the confessions I've made in my life, what kind of patterns can I see? Is there anything I'm typically confessing? What sort of remark or action is most likely to hurt my feelings or provoke a response? What kind of temptations do I have to struggle the hardest against? What kind of sin seems to come the most easy for me? Okay? So the first step, we ask God, our guardian angel and the blessed mother, to give us the light to know ourselves, to see ourselves, to see our predominant fault. And the second step is to make a serious examination of our interior life, taking special care to pay attention to which one of those seven deadly sins seems to be most common in our life. Places, G: pride, lust, anger, covetousness, envy, sloth, and gluttony. And we ask ourselves questions like where do my thoughts drift to their own accord? What generally makes me sad or happy? When I look back over my confessions, what sort of patterns do I see? What kind of temptations do I seem to have to struggle the hardest against? So that's identifying it. And that may not be easy, but we have to start there. All right, how to conquer the predominant fault? How do the saints overcome their problems? Today we'll look at one of the secrets of the saints. Something that any one of us can do quite easily. A practice that makes it relatively easy to make great progress in holiness if we're faithful to it. This technique isn't just for the predominant fault. It'll work with anything that we're struggling with spiritually. The next time we'll look at another one of the secrets of the saints that's also very powerful in conquering faults that we can use along today with what we, along with what we're getting today. Okay? So the basic idea is un- easy to understand. A predominant fault is a problem, it's a spiritual problem. We're broke and we can't fix it. So we're spiritually sick, but we have a divine physician who became man just to help us. Okay? Our Lord became man. He says, Behold, I make all things new. So the basic ideas understand, it's easy. We've got a spiritual problem that we can't fix. We need to take it to the divine physician who came to make all things new. And the basic technique is easy to understand. The Council of Trent teaches, quote, Our Lord wished that this sacrament, the most blessed sacrament of the altar, should be received as the, as the spiritual food of souls, by which they may be fed and strengthened, and as an antidote, whereby we may be freed from daily faults and preserved from mortal sins. Close quote. Can everybody hear that? Our Lord wishes that the most blessed sacrament of the altar be received as an antidote to preserve us from daily faults and mortal sin. It's the solemn teaching of the Church that this is one of the reasons our Lord instituted Holy Communion as an antidote for our daily faults. And which fault is it that we most have to struggle with from day to day? It's our predominant fault. Okay, Father, I've been receiving communion for years and I don't seem to have made much progress. Well, let's change that. St. Pius X gives us a clue how when he tells us that someone going to communion, quote, should do so not out of routine, but for the purpose of pleasing God or being more closely united with him in charity and of seeking this divine remedy for his weaknesses and effects. We need to make communions for the exact and particular reason of conquering our predominant fault. Here's the basic technique. Suppose that the predominant fault, our predominant fault is anger. We're stuck with anger and we really want to go over and beat up the neighbor, okay? We've got, we're really burnt off at the guy. So we've got a particular purpose that we need to go to Holy Communion for. We need help. And it's not just generic help. We need specific help. We need help in this case with anger and to control our urge to go over there and clobber the neighbor. Okay. So we don't just show up at Mass and shuffle up to Communion out of habit. That's not going to help. We need to spend some time planning out exactly what we're going to ask our Lord to do before we go to communion. Now think about this. If you are going to go to your boss and ask for a raise, you'd probably spend some time thinking about just exactly what were you asking for and planning about how you are going to go about asking for it, okay? Well, you're going to have an audience with the good God. That means... If you do that for your boss, how much more should you do it with the good God? Spend some time thinking about what is it that I need to ask him for, and how ought I to ask him, okay? He doesn't need anything. He's God. He's coming to us for our benefit. The Holy Communion doesn't benefit him. He's doing us the favor, and he wants to help us. That's why he became bread, under the appearance of bread. So he can come to us, okay? There's no bread there. don't think I'm saying something heretical, but this is it. He's coming to us in this form because we need him. And he wants to help us out, okay? So, if we have been having him come to visit, and we haven't planned about what we're going to ask him for, what what particular things we want to ask him for, or worse yet, if we don't even talk to him after we receive him, small wonder, we haven't made a lot of progress after so many holy communions. Small wonder we're not saints yet. There's no defect in him. One communion is sufficient for us to become a great saint. If we're not great saints after our first communion, it's not because of defect in our Lord. It's because of obstacles in us. It's a defect in our disposition when we're receiving him, okay? We can make great leaps and strides by taking advantage of this. St. Teresa Avila says after Holy Communion, Jesus remains in the soul, is on a throne of grace, and asks, What do you want me to do for you? He's in our soul asking us, What do you want me to do for you? So we've supposed that our predominant fault is anger, and we're struggling with this temptation to go over and punch out the neighbor. We plan what we want to ask him. And then we go to communion and tell our Lord words. I mean, I'm just going to make this up as I'm standing here. Lord, I thank you for coming to me in Holy Communion. You know, I've got this terrible problem with anger. I've been struggling with it since I've been a kid. Right now, I'm really having a problem with my neighbor. And I want to clobber him. And I don't seem able to fix this. But you can. You can. I'm going to turn over my disordered passions, my soul, this whole part of my personality to you. You came to make all things new. Heal this wound in my soul. Make me into the kind of Catholic you have in mind, rather than the kind of Catholic I've made myself. You can fix me. See, we keep going on like this, okay? Words to this fourth. You're asking him to give you the grace to control your temper, to be pleasing to him, and so forth. This is why he's coming to us in Holy Communion. See, we're sinners. He's come to save us. He wants us to be saints, but we have to do our part. We have to ask. We have to do our part. It's worth meditating sometime on the first public miracle. He turned the water into wine, but what happened first? He made the guys pack the water. He didn't have to do that. He could have done it, just started with nothing, but he made them do their part. Then he does his part. It's the same idea here. He's coming to us. We need to ask Him what we want. Huh? It's an act of humility to say, I'm messed up. I need your help. The proud man doesn't need God's help. The humble man does. We turn to Him in humility. St. Teresa says, says, After communion, let us be careful not to lose so good an opportunity of negotiating with God. His divine majesty is not accustomed to to pay badly for his lodgings if he meets with a good reception. That's really worth thinking about. I'll read that again. After communion, let us be careful not to lose so good an opportunity of negotiating with God. His divine majesty is not accustomed to pay badly for his lodgings if he meets with a good reception. Now think about that. It's as if we're charging him and he wants us to. And what are we asking him to do? We're asking him to pay off some spiritual problem. Fix this. He's coming to us and he's so humble that he'll do. He'll pay us for the privilege of coming to us in communion. That's the idea of communion. We want to have... We're, we're, in all humility, we're making demands against God because he's put himself at our mercy. And we don't want to waste that. We don't want to waste that. We've got to spend time preparing for communion. We've got to prepare to receive our Lord worthily, and then we've got to spend time asking Him to crush our sinful inclinations. We want to ask Him for that. The saints are unanimous on this. Pope Innocent III, quote, By the mystery of the cross, Jesus Christ delivered us from the power of sin. By that sacrament of the Most Holy Eucharist, He delivers us from the inclination to sin. St. John of the Cross says, quote, After communion is a time to gain treasures of graces. St. Mary Magdalene of Pazzi says, quote, No time can be more calculated to inflame us with divine love than the time immediately after communion. St. Peter Julian Amart has a lot to say on this matter. Quote, The most solemn moments of your life are those you spend in thanksgiving when the King of Heaven and Earth, your Savior and Judge, is yours, fully inclined to grant all you ask of him. Devote a half hour if possible to this thanksgiving, or at the very least, 15 minutes. There is no more holy, no more salutary moment for you than when you possess Jesus in your body and in your soul. The temptation often comes to shorten our thanksgiving. The devil knows its value, and our nature, our self-love, shrinks from its effects. Determine, therefore, what the duration of your thanksgiving is to be, and never subtract a moment therefrom without a pressing reason. Thanksgiving is absolutely necessary if the act of communion, so holy, is not to degenerate into a merely pious habit. Close quote, St. Peter Julian A. St. Alphonsus, quote, Oh, what treasures of graces do they lose who pray but a short time to God after Holy Communion, close quote. We need to spend time Thanksgiving. But what about you, Father? Why don't you spend a long time Thanksgiving? You tell us to kneel here for 15 minutes or half hour, but after a few minutes, off you go to confessions or baptisms. You're not setting a very good example why don't you practice what you preach? That's a good question. When I'm saying a private Mass, I do. But when I say a public Mass like this, I follow what St. Paul of the Cross tells priests, quote, When it's time to hear confessions and to assist our neighbor, leave aside everything else, for there's no greater thing than to practice charity, close quote. When one of his passionist priests complained to St. Paul of the Cross that the number of confessions left him no time, to make a good preparation before Mass, St. Paul the Cross said, quote, Go on as you are doing, for you cannot make a better preparation or Thanksgiving than to practice charity, close quote. So I have what might be called a vocation specific preparation and Thanksgiving. This would also pertain, for example, to mothers who have to take a fussy child out before making a nice quiet Thanksgiving. But these are exceptional applications of a general rule. We need to spend the time with our Lord so communion doesn't degenerate into a pious habit and if we're not making a lot of progress then it's probably because we're not putting a lot of effort in preparing for communion and then talking things over with our Lord we don't have to read pious prayers we can talk to him there's nothing wrong with prayers don't get me wrong but we can talk to him have a conversation with Christ tell him what you need he wants to hear from you so the basic idea is easy to understand. We've got a spiritual problem we need to take to the divine position. There's the only one who can heal it, and he specifically came to make all things new. And the basic technique is also really easy to understand. We plan out exactly what we're going to ask our Lord to do for us before we go to communion, and then we spend 15 to 30 minutes talking with him about our problems and begging him for mercy. Now before we close today, let's consider a real powerful practice that helps us, that flows right from these kind of good communions and carries us through the day and through the week and connects one communion to the other from the time we go to receive one good communion to the next time we get to come to communion and that's called the spiritual contract. Spiritual contract. Now assuming we've made a good communion, we planned exactly what we want to talk to our Lord about, we make a spiritual contract for the rest of the day, for the rest of the week, till the next time we can come to Holy Communion. Every time we perform a certain action, perhaps like uh, uh, placing our finger over our heart or saying a little aspiration, maybe like, my Jesus mercy, or something like that. Every time we perform a certain action or say this little aspiration, what we mean to do is renew all those things that we spent that 15 to 30 minutes talking to our Lord about. We want to renew them all. It's impossible in the world we live in to sit there and take 15 minutes every time you think about it. We're busy, we have things to do. But we can renew them all, and we ask our guardian angel to say all the prayers for us. We mean to renew them all because we have an intention. That's the act of the will. Our angel will say the prayers for us. That's what angels are good for, and I'm not being derogatory at all. They will say prayers like that for us. They're happy to do that. So we just renew our intention by single little aspiration, by Jesus' mercy or touching over heart, or whatever we've chosen, and that angel will repeat those 15 to 30 minute prayers of thanksgiving for us. Now, we can do that from time to time, from the time we, we finish our thanksgiving to the next time we come. A really good way to connect this every day is when you say your three Hail Marys, have the intention to renew it there, and when you say grace, so that's five times a day, the three Hail Marys in the morning and night, and saying grace, that's five times a day where where you're renewing, He's 15 to 30 minutes of prayer where you're specifically asking our Lord to help you fix your major malfunction. Something that you can't do yourself, but that he can. Okay? That's an awful lot of prayer in a real little package. huh? It's really good. It's a good practice. That's the spiritual contract. We're here to become saints. And if we're not saints yet, if we're not well on the way to becoming saints, it may be because we haven't been doing a very good battle with our predominant fault. Or it may be because we've been squandering so many graces that are available to us every time we go to communion. Or it may be both of those. Make a good preparation. Make a good thanksgiving. Make that spiritual contract. Get serious about identifying your predominant fault. Let's get serious about these kinds of spiritual practices. Every one of us is here to become a saint. That's why God placed us in the world. We're here to become saints. We'll close with a reflection from St. Alphonsus. Those who say God does not wish us all to be saints, make a great mistake. Yes, for St. Paul says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. God wishes us all to be saints and each one according to his state of life. The religious as a religious, the priest as a priest, the married as married, the man of business as a man of business, the soldier as a soldier, and so of every other state in life. Those who say that God does not wish us all to be saints make a great mistake. God wishes us all to be saints.